On an unknown day and month in 1542, Juan de Yepes was born in a small town called Fontiveros. This town lay on a rocky and barren land in the outskirts of Madrid in Spain. Juan's father, Gonzalo, was a nobleman who belonged to a wealthy family who made their wealth from the silk that they sold. Gonzalo, on a business trip, stopped by this small town in Fontiveros where he would meet Catalina, a weaver of poor and humble background. Despite their social differences and status, they both fell madly in love and married in 1529. Now, the marriage between two people of different social statuses was not looked upon with great affection. So, therefore, their marriage was not seen nor recognized by Gonzalo's family. So they cut him off and disinherited him. He was left with nothing more than the love that he had for his wife and was forced to adapt to this new life in poverty. Now, the couple had three sons, Francisco, Luis, and their youngest, Juan, who later became known as St. John of the Cross. John was no more than two years old when his father died. Gonzalo eventually was worn down by the suffering of a long illness. Left with nothing, the young widow, desperate to take care of her children, kind of mustered up, took up the courage to go to their estranged family to ask for help. Unfortunately, her journey was a failure as she was met with rejection, and shortly after, her older son Luis died, probably because of malnourishment. She had no choice but to leave her hometown and go out to a bigger city to try to find work to support her two starving children. Here, in this new city, John was able to enter a school which was like an orphanage for poor children where he received an elementary education. Main, it was, its main focus was kind of on Christian doctrine. Here he had an opportunity to learn and become an apprentice of someone um, that he would eventually pick up their trade. Now, the priest responsible for this school took notice of him and offered him an opportunity to assist him and the nuns in the monastery that was nearby. John was not really interested in any of the trades that were offered by the school, but instead he would show great gentleness, patience, and above all, compassion towards the sick in the local hospital. Now, the administrator of the local hospital took an interest in young John, and John chose to apprentice under him for some time. This actually opened the door for John to further his education and attend a Jesuit school where he would learn grammar, rhetoric, Latin, and Greek. Now, John, from a young age, showed great promise because he was very smart. And in this new Jesuit school, he would eventually stand out because of his intellect. Now, when he got out, when he finished school, he was offered an opportunity to be a chaplain of the hospital, which kind of started this journey for him. Now, this opportunity would have allowed him to support his mother and brother, as well as to be relatively close to them. But he rejected it in order to pursue a more contemplative life and decided to join a Carmelite monastery that was nearby. Now this decision would pave the way for him to meet another giant of the faith in Teresa of Avila. Teresa of Avila was 52 his senior 
while John was just 25 years old when they met. At this time, Teresa had been laying the groundwork to the contemplative ways of being able to commune with God. By this time, she had already written two of her most influential works, one of them called The Life, which is a, a little bit of her autobiography, which talks about all the different stages of prayer. And the second work was is titled The Way of Perfection, which is about the kind of life and prayer that we are to live by as followers of Jesus. Now, John became sort of a spiritual director to many of the nuns and followers of Teresa of Avila in the monastery. Now, despite his young age and small stature, Teresa would see John as a man that was, quote, great in the eyes of God. Now, when we talk about the works of St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, these two individuals tend to always go hand in hand. Now, St. John was disciplined and a serious intellectual, and Teresa was a more personable, practical person with a huge sense of humor. Now, not, not only were these were they just close friends, but in many cases, in many senses, they were complete opposites that complemented each other in the way that they were able to care for those that followed them, along with millions of other Christians after, by their works and their, their writings about prayers and just kind of the ways of the heart. Now, the 15th century wasn't an easy time for the Christian faith. The church and state were so entangled that decisions made by the state were often covered and protected by the church. So there was like a real power struggle between the church and the state. You couldn't help but to see the corruption in the church. And its message along with its purity began to be compromised. Like others before them, John and Teresa's desire was for people to experience and live a life fully developed to God. Away from the politics and the influence of the state. In 1577, John received a notice from the Italian Carmelite order, making it illegal for him to remain in the monastery, giving spiritual guidance to the followers of Teresa of Avila. However, the Pope's official representative to the court of the king from the time ordered John to stay. John chose to recognize the hierarchy of the Pope's office and remained making him a criminal in the eyes of the Carmelite order. And on the night of December 2nd, 1577, several men broke into John's residence, blindfolded him and abducted him and sent him into a monastery, into the prison cells that were kind of in the basement of a, of the monast of a monastery in Toledo. He endured severe beatings and was confined to a prison cell. It was here in the dark prison cell where he began to compose his great poetic works. Now, without anything to write them down, he began by creating them mentally and memorizing them. Later on, with the help of a new prison guard, he was given paper and pen to begin to write everything that he had been working on. And from time to time, he was even allowed to go outside of his cell, just kind of stretch out and feel the sun for brief periods of time. After spending nine months in prison, 
on one very dark night, John escaped. How he escaped is a mystery. There's a wide range of stories as how he managed to escape, ranging from friends helping him to others saying that it was just a complete miracle. But once he got out, he resumed his work as a spiritual director as well as his writings. And here's a quote from him. He says, if a man wishes to be sure of the road that he treads on, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. See, for me, the saints, along with spiritual writers, are a gift to us as followers of Jesus. Not because of their experiences and that they give us the answers to the issues that we face, but because in their experiences, they are able to put words into what our journey looks like. What they're able to put into words kind of gives us a lay of the land that we are traveling in. Now, it's fascinating to think that his poetry and works on the human soul came from one of the most difficult times in his life. A man who had a heart for Jesus, a passion to draw closer to God, was imprisoned and suffered physically, mentally, and even spiritually. But in the midst of his trials, he came to put words to what a life following Jesus looks like and what the ultimate goal and purpose of this life is. Quote, Faith and love will lead you along a path unknown to you, to the place where God is hidden. Let me say that again. St. John of the Cross said this, Faith and love will lead you along a path unknown to you, to the place where God is hidden. What St. John of the Cross captures in his poetry is the internal path the inner journey, the pilgrimage of the soul that ultimately makes up our faith. A journey that as followers of Jesus helps our faith grow and mature through the trials and challenges that come our way on this side of eternity. St. John of the Cross was able to put words from his own journey that show us the ultimate purpose and goal of our lives is to be one with God, to be in union, in a relationship, in a mutually loving relationship with Him, as the greatest commandment states. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our body, with all of our mind. With everything in us, we are to love God. Now this union, this oneness with God isn't like a relationship, isn't like any relationship that we have. This union, this bond happens deep, deep within our souls. Now, he defines the soul as not something that a person has, but who a person most deeply is. It's the essential spiritual nature of a human being. St. John said this, The soul is not a separate part or aspect of a person, but rather what you see when you look at a person with spiritual eyes. St. John goes on to explain that as we draw closer to God, like drawing closer to God is the spiritual journey that every single one of us are on. However, union with God is a paradox because it's not something that can either be acquired or attained by our works. It is something that is received. The journey to receiving this union that ultimately transforms us will create in us 
a yearning, a desire, like a, a seeking after. And it's actually something that we desire that consumes us that with the grace of God can be found. But therein lies our dilemma and the challenge that we as followers of Jesus encounter. Because our natural desire, whether we're aware of it or not, is not first and foremost for God. It is for ourselves. And this is what original sin introduced and has marred our hearts with. This is the human condition. We love and desire ourselves, along with so many other things, rather than God. Now, according to John, it takes love for this union to come to fruition. Everything that takes place is in love, whether and, and what depths are discovered results in more love. The deepening of this love happens in what he describes as a dark night. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, we're led into the wilderness, just like Jesus was drawn, was led into the wilderness, where we must also enter a dark night. He says this, he says, the soul arrives at perfect union with God through love. Now, this journey of the soul and union with God, according to St. John, we kind of need to imagine it in like three concentric circles. There is the larger of the circle, which is the outside, and the three which encompasses our senses. He says that the first kind of like stage is <clears throat> kind of encompasses what we hear, what we see, what we taste, what we smell, and what we touch. The following circle, which is a little bit smaller, is composed of the, our spiritual senses, which is kind of our intellect, our memory, and our will. Now, he says that these aren't confined necessarily to, to those circles. They kind of are interactive with one another, but mainly they kind of live within those parameters, if you will. And in the last circle, which is at the center of the three, is where actually God resides. So it's <clears throat> this journey inward through the senses, through the spirit, through the intellect, through the spiritual circle to ultimately reach to God. And the way through that is through prayer. Now, John sees the dark night of the senses as the ground in which our faith is tested. Because our five senses are the soul's window to the physical world. This is where our human condition, our brokenness, begins to create attachments. In other words, to find security, safety, comfort, and love in anything that isn't God. Now, these attachments happen unconsciously. And to make matters worse, they're endorsed by the world that we live in. So they feel normal. Because everyone seems to want to experience a rich life by seeking happiness, gratification, success, and attain them by their own means. Now, the word attachment comes from the Latin word attacare, which means to fasten or to bind. In other words, our attachments bind our hearts to the things and even people that promise us the very things that our hearts are yearning for. The more that time passes, these attachments become kind of like an automatic response. And the main source 
that where we seek safety, security, and comfort, and above all, love. Now, these attachments that we have, in most cases, become bad habits. Now, when these bad habits become destructive and hinder our ability to love, we call them addictions. And this is something that every single one of us struggles with. In our spiritual journey, our attachments, our addictions, our sinful behavior ultimately become idols in our lives. Now, I, the word idol might seem a little extreme. However, when we look at it closely, when we look closely at our sinful behavior, we can see that we give them all of our time, our energy, our attention. And in some instances, we devote much of our love to them. And this is the struggle that exists within the human heart. God's desire for us is to devote ourselves completely to Him, to become fully dependent on Him, and to fully trust in Him. However, it is impossible to desire and love God with all of our hearts, our mind, our body, and our soul when our love is given to so many other things. Now in Matthew chapter 4, the first few words that we see in the scripture is we see the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit doesn't lead Jesus into temptation, but it does lead him into the wilderness where he will be tested and tried. Which I think <clears throat> raises the question, if Jesus is the Son of God, what is the need for him to be tested? Like, why is he being tested? See, the wilderness is the solace place, a place where he wandered for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Jesus, humanly speaking, was at his weakest and most vulnerable. What was being tested was not God's love for Jesus, but Jesus' faith in the Father's love. In other words, the test that he would face, the taste that he faced, would ultimately test the trust that he had in his father. Now, although on the outside, Jesus was in a physical desert, the trials that tested him, they tested him internally. There was physical, there was a physical, a mental, and a spiritual component. But all of this was what St. John of the Cross would call a dark night of the senses. Now, for many of us as followers of Jesus, the deserts that we encounter will not be physical ones. The trials and challenges that we'll face will make us feel like we're in a desert, right? That level of suffering that we feel from time to time will challenge us to the very core of who we are. Now, many of us will go through trials that will test us physically, mentally, and spiritually. For example, trials of loss, loneliness, fears, addictions, failures, broken relationships, financial struggles, etc. The list goes on. The trials in our lives have a way of shaking us to the very core of who we are. And like Jesus... Trials and tests are to be expected 
because our faith, because we're also being led by the Holy Spirit into our own wilderness, into our own dark nights. However, according to St. John of the Cross, this dark night can be the ground for God to do his best work in our lives. The wilderness can become the holy ground of transformation. The dark night can be the ground where we're able to draw closer to God. And I just kind of want to go over two things that the dark night brings, this wilderness experience brings to us. In the dark night, we become aware of the idols that are in our lives. See, trials and tribulations in our lives challenge us to the very core of who we are. At times, we will get on our knees and pray for deliverance, pray for protection, pray for answers, healings, miracles. But what happens when our prayers remain unanswered? What do we do when God seems silent? What do we do when he feels distant? The perception of distance and silence from God only seems to add to our suffering. We question, we doubt, we become confused. In other words, we become disoriented. Because internally there's a clash between what we believe and the reality of what is. So how do we respond to these circumstances? In the disorientation, we unconsciously turn to our attachments, our habits, our sin, to help us feel like we can regain some sort of control and stability. I say unconsciously because these things in our lives have helped us before. We believe that, we have kind of believed that they can be trusted because to some extent they've given us some safety, security, and love that will comfort us, that have comforted us during the trials. What we turn to tells us a lot about how strong our faith is. In other words, how much do we truly trust God? And in the areas that we don't, our worry, our fear, our anxiousness, we turn to the things in our lives that have promised us an escape, a temporary relief or a way to manage what we're going through. These are the idols that we have attached our hearts to. We seek them to deliver us and give us what only God can. Now, it's easy to point out some of the idols in our lives from how we behave kind of day to day. But the purpose of a dark night is to help us become aware of the idols that exist in our lives that remain hidden and have been paralyzing us. In the dark night, we learn how to let go and lean in and trust in God. Now, by any means, this is not easy. One, because it takes time. It takes vulnerability. It takes waiting for us to learn that God can be trusted. Now, here's the second thing. In the dark night, we find Jesus. Because we're human... In our weakness, we always want something that we can have, we can hold, something that can prove that our work, our struggle was worth something, which is why we always run 
to try to take control of our circumstances and our situations. But we can also become fixated on what we think the answer is that will help take the pain away. Praying and believing for a miracle is something that we ought to pray for. Because our God is a great God who's always doing. However, it should not be the main focus of our prayers. Although we might believe that an answer to our prayer is the solution to alleviate the suffering, God is actually leading us to something much more meaningful. Something much more deeper and intimate. Now bear with me. If the purpose of our lives is to be in union with Him and to love Him with all that we are, then our love needs to surpass the expectations and our understanding of what love is. Our love for God cannot be based solely on our circumstances. Our love for God needs to be despite of our circumstances. See, the dark night leads us to experience God's love in the depths of who we are. In other words, we get to experience God's love in our souls. In the dark night, our faith matures. Our faith transitions from seeing the goodness of God being based on our circumstances to ultimately living in the goodness of God despite our, of our circumstances. Our faith and trust in God moves beyond what he does for me and finds joy in only him. The dark night ultimately leads us to find fulfillment in him. In other words, the dark night helps us find Jesus in the midst of our trials. It helps us come face to face with our biggest fears and place those tender and delicate parts of our broken heart in his hands. I just want to close with this final thought. The dark night strips us of everything and leaves us with nothing. But it is in this emptiness where we are at our most vulnerable when Jesus comes to fill that space. Experiencing this encounter, this level of intimacy in the depths of our being helps us experience a love unlike anything that we have ever seen or experienced before. The love of the Father that reaches the depths and touches our souls. James 1, verses 1 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my dear brothers and sisters, wherever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may mature and and complete, lacking nothing. Because when you have God in your life, in your heart, we don't need anything else. This is the healing that we didn't even know we needed. The healing of our souls. 
It is in this love where we're able to find joy in the midst of our suffering. Joy doesn't mean that life is all of the sudden sunshines and rainbows. No, joy is much deeper than that. Joy is found as our souls become connected with God and find peace, rest, and healing. Peace because we're no longer chasing after things. We trust that God is with us. Rest because we're no longer defined by what we do. We are defined by God's love for us. And healing because we know that God is with us no matter what. And that is something that can never be taken away from us. Joy ultimately becomes the expression of intimately knowing that we have found what we have been desperately looking for in the love of the Father. In His love, we become complete. So what is Jesus inviting you to today? 